Father, this morning we come to you, Lord, with the joy which only you can give us. This joy is not from the world. This joy the world cannot give. Only you can give. For in your presence there is joy, Lord. For everything that you do, Father, you do to us because you love us. When you bless us, you bless us because you love us. When you chastise us, you chastise us because you love us. Everything that happens in our lives from your hands is an outpouring and an outworking of your love. Help us even as we hear your word to know that everything that you speak to us it's not because you are angry with us, but because you love us. Help us to know that one truth. Let it be deep-rooted in our spirit that you love us. Therefore, you speak to us. You don't speak to the world because the world cannot hear you. You did not give your spirit to the world because the world cannot receive your spirit. But to us, you have given us your spirit and your word. Today, this morning, once again, we surround our hearts and our minds to you, Spirit of God, and to you, Jesus, the word of God. Help us to receive it with joy, with thanksgiving and in faith that it might work in us. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you were there last week and if you were in and if you managed to hear the message, we've been looking at the foundations, we've been looking at building our lives and our homes on the rock that cannot be shaken, that cannot be moved, that's Christ Jesus and his word himself. Last Sunday we saw at a time when darkness, moral, ethical, spiritual darkness sweeps the world, yet God says his light will come upon a generation, the people who wait upon him. He will always have his generation. He will always, in every generation from the beginning, from the time of the first two children that were born to Adam and Eve, God always had one who walked with him. He will always have a remnant. But we are looking about the last generation and like many servants of God, I too believe, we are right there and we, you, could be the last generation. So it's a time of preparation for God's children because unlike any other generation, the last generation will be tested. They will go through trouble for persecution, for tribulation and temptation like no other generation could be tested. Therefore, you need to be absolutely stronger than any generation ever was. Therefore, the knowledge of scripture available today, which even the ancients did not have, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being poured out like never before, it is to prepare a generation. So we also saw from the parable of the sower, 
that when trouble or persecution comes because of the word many will not last they will just go away we also saw when the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth comes others fall away but to those who believe and obey god promises you will bring forth a harvest a 30fold a 60fold a 100fold to those who believe and those who obey there is something else that is promised in matthew 13 and 11 to 12 this is in actual in connection with that same parable he says he answered and said to them because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him an abundance of the knowledge of how god is and how he works and his ways is given to those who bring forth the harvest and sometimes you wouldn't even know that you actually know from hearing and believing the mysteries of the kingdom that if you were to speak how you see and read scripture to the profs sitting in the universities who have a doctorate in the bible they wouldn't understand what you are saying because the mysteries are not given to the intellectuals mysteries of the kingdom is given to those who approach god with the faith of children and believe and obey that's what he's talking about and to them an abundance to who has more even more will be given if you are a 34 christian he said don't worry keep on you will be 60 fold and he said if you are 60 fold you don't worry keep on you can be 100 fold god is not slack he is not a miser when it comes to blessing his children with real true treasures things that matter in the eyes and in the sight of heaven abundance of knowledge of god abundance of power holy spirit power not lack abundance is what is promised when it comes to spiritual things and things of god so today always is a day of preparation remember in the believers life there are only two days if you look at scripture today and that day there is no yesterday and tomorrow in the bible there are only two days one is today and the other day known as the day of christ the day of the lord it is the day so hebrews 3:7 will say therefore as the holy spirit says today if you hear his voice obey meaning if you hear his voice today don't wait till tomorrow it will not work to not work the holy spirit because that's the nature of faith faith is always today it's never tomorrow that's hope it's never tomorrow it's never yesterday it is always now today so scripture says there are so many scriptures i'm just giving you one scripture says therefore has the holy spirit says today today if you hear his voice and then there is another day that is coming and every time we hear his voice in our todays and obey we are being prepared for that day and we live every day in the light of that day what is that day going to be like nobody is sure and we are not going to fight over pre tribulation rapture and mid tribulation and post tribulation we don't have to fight over it we just have to be prepared whatever it is 
There is scripture which says when he comes it will be like lightning flashing from one end to every eye will see. Even those who pierced him will see. There is another scripture which says that when you are taken away your wife, your husband sleeping next to you also won't know. So both are there. Both are there. You're going to be dogmatic and fight over one viewpoint. The problem is you stop preparing. Because you're already fighting. So God says, don't worry about all that. That's why I never told you the day and the hour. I only say, be watchful, be prepared, always. So we live every day, that is today, in the light of that day. That is how every generation lived. Even the man who was given the greatest revelation in the kingdom of God called Paul the Apostle, even when he went to heaven, how many times we don't know, saw in the spirit, heard in the spirit things that could not be expressed. To him also it was not told when Jesus would come so that he believed that when he was living he would be taken. But he died. He died. Every generation of believers lived thinking that in their time he would come. And we live in that preparation. But if you read the signs, they read their signs and thought he is coming. We have to read our signs in the light of things that are unfolding. And we just prepare. The question is, do we believe what we hear? God's word never changes. But God's word has to change us. More and more like his word. God's word has power to work in only those who believe, not others. That's what First Thessalonians 2.13 says. But it is the truth, the last part will say, is the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Word of God has power. But the word of God has power only for those who believe. That's where faith comes in. That's what faith is. It's always today and not tomorrow. God is his word. We saw it last week. And his word is God. Therefore, when we disbelieve the word of God, we disbelieve God. When we take the word of God lightly, we take God lightly. When we misinterpret the word, we misinterpret God. When we misrepresent the word, we misrepresent God. Are you getting the picture? That's why Paul will tell a young believer called Timothy, a young man says, Timothy, in Second Timothy he says, Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved by man. No. Approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to be approved of God. Because the way you divide the word of truth, you are representing God to people. Don't misrepresent God because God and his word are the same. Do your best, he's telling him. You know, yesterday, I mean, last week when I was listening to a preacher, he said something which honestly never struck to me, but the truth of it, what he said like, you know, he said, the Bible is basically written, the original texts are written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and New Testament Greek. And I did 
my study on these three. There are two, three kinds of languages. One is the language you are hearing and the languages we speak, which is called living languages. Then there are languages which are extinct, which is no longer exists. And then there are languages which are called dead languages, meaning it is only used in universities. It's a classical language, nobody speaks it. Like, do you speak Sanskrit? No. But Sanskrit is not extinct, it is there. So like that, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And God wrote his scripture in these three languages and froze it in time. Therefore, those languages don't change. Our language, English changes. So what you said 50 years ago may mean something else today. But when scripture was written, it was written in a language and then God froze it. And he says, the meaning doesn't change. Heaven and earth. I mean, it was like, it was like stunning when I heard that. I said, oh wow, it's true. It is true. Ultimately, when you have doubt about an English translation, you can go and check out what does it mean in Greek. And you realize it's frozen in Greek. It doesn't change. Like I'll tell you English, simple English. If you read King James Version or the old King James Version, food is called meat. Now, meat now is just one part of food today. But in old English, meat meant any food. But today, if somebody reads about meat, a young man like any one of these were to read a King James Version and reads meat, he will only think meat. He won't think food. But language has changed. But that's not the way it means in the original languages in which it has been written. That's what it means also in one way. The word of God is forever settled in the heavens. It does not change. Also because it is the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. So every time when you read this, handle it with care. It's precious. It's pure. It's holy. It has life. And it has the power to work in those who believe. Everything in this has the power to work in those who believe. Let's just rewind history a little. Okay, 2,000 years. Let's look back. 2,000 years. Everything about Jesus' first coming was foretold hundreds of years earlier in this text, in this book, before he actually came, before the word became flesh. The nature of his birth was very clearly told, born of a virgin. The purpose of his birth is very clearly told in Isaiah 53. The place of his birth is shown through a minor prophet. No prophets are minor, but we call him minor for ease. Oh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. The attempt to kill the babies, basically him, when he is born, is already foretold. There will be weeping in Rama. The flight to Egypt when he is two years old is already foretold 600, 800 years earlier. Out of Egypt I call my son. His ministry, nature of his ministry, the miracles that will happen in his ministry is already foretold. And Jesus will tell the disciples of John, go and tell them the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame. Well, what is he talking about? He says, it is written. Tell him, that's all he needs to stand by. His death on the cross is foretold. The exact way he is going to die, pierced, crucified, is foretold hundreds and hundreds of years ago, earlier, even when the Roman Empire has not even come into being and crucifixion is invented by the Roman Empire. 
When man does not even know what crucifixion is, crucifixion is already foretold in the Old Testament. That is the way the Son of God will die. That you would die between two thieves. That you would be buried in a borrowed tomb. That you would rise up on the third day. Everything foretold. Everything foretold in scripture about his first coming. Everything fulfilled. The question is, did anyone believe when he came first? Now we are caught in a time like that, where his second coming is right at the door. And all the warnings are there. The question is, do we believe or are we caught like the generation who was caught in the first generation when he came? In the three gospels out of four, Jesus gives us a timeline. And finally, before he closes the canon, that is the Bible, he personally visits John, the last of the surviving apostles, gives him a personal tour of heaven and shows him the events that will take place. And we have the most comprehensive book on the last days, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the most incredible book available, given to man by God himself, how the last days will be. With this incredible promise in that book, when you open that book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads, who hears, and who keeps. Why? Because the time is near. He says, I'm giving you a blueprint of what is going to happen, how it's going to happen. I will not leave my people unwarned, unprepared. The book of Revelation is not written for the nations of the world, not for the leaders of the world, not the generals of army. They are written for God's children. They are not written for the world. They won't even understand if they read it. It's written for us, for you and me. Especially for you and me upon whom the end of ages have come. And he says, you are blessed if you read, if you hear, if you keep. Let me ask you this question. Did anyone here read the book of Revelation? At least some verses in the last seven days? Last seven days? Yet the promise is there. Do we believe? That's why the book of writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, How shall we escape? How shall we escape? If... We neglect so great a salvation. How shall we escape? When the women wept over Jesus as he was being taken to Golgotha, he said, why do you weep? Why are you weeping over me? He said, don't weep. Weep over yourself and your children. What is going to happen to this city? He said, not a stone will be left on the stone. That's what he said. Every word he said came to pass. Less than 40 years later, Jerusalem was raised to the ground. Nothing of the temple left. Hundreds upon, not hundreds, hundreds and thousands of those who remain in Jerusalem were slaughtered. The rest were taken captive by the Romans. But church history says not one Christian was taken because they all had left because they were warned. They were warned. Leave the city. 
how can we escape such a great salvation if we neglect which is first spoken by the lord and confirmed to us those who heard him he says god has spoken to his own son and through the apostles and he's been warning every generation Jesus himself describes in three of the four gospels how the last days will play out. He said deception will be rampant. Rampant. And we don't even realize how subtle the deception can be that people he said many will come and say I am the Christ. I am the Christ. Meaning people will always be looking to political leaders to save them out of the situation. Last week was the RNC convention most of you don't even know what RNC is are the Republican National Party where Trump was nominated and he gave a speech it was a good speech one hour 17 minutes he spoke and he put a dire picture of the future of America which is true and the world and then he said i am the man who can rescue out of this situation false christ no man can rescue you this world of this situation only christ can But there will be a lot of people who will lap it up and clap it up and says you are the man. Same in this country everywhere. So many will come. They will say disaster is coming but I can bring you out. No man can bring you out. Only Christ can. Deception will be rampant. Rumors of wars and wars Jesus said nation against nation kingdom against kingdom famines pestilences earthquakes. tribulation for those who believe he said you will be hated and killed for my name's sake lawlessness abounds tribulation increases signs in the sky and the final appearing of christ and the elect are gathered question is do we believe it's all happening around us because we are seeing it now all live so if everything he foretold through the prophets about his first coming were fulfilled to the dot What about the second coming? Are we prepared? Remember for the second coming there is no way anyone can be prepared for this outwardly. Doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor, whether you have living in a fortress or on the street, it makes no difference. You cannot be safe. You can be only be prepared spiritually. Spiritually you can be prepared and it doesn't matter what your age is. Only thing matters is are you connected with God? and you're walking with God. So when Jesus the baby comes brought by his mother on the 40th day to the temple, two old people recognize this is the hour of his coming. One is an old man called Simeon, other is an old lady called Anna. Both were driven by the Holy Spirit to recognize this is the son of God. 30 years later there is a young man, 30 year old young man called John who was in the wilderness who's been brought from the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. One look he recognized, behold the son of man who takes away the sins of this world. Three people, only three people recognized him. All three recognized because of the spirit of God. That's what God says, all those who have ears, let them hear what the spirit says. It's only one way inwardly being prepared that's what Jesus keeps telling us through the gospels take heed Jesus says be watchful and pray always pray in the spirit see what's happening every week every week it's a new thing right last week was another story 
That's already story is forgotten because the week before, last week, something else happened. Now, I'm no prophet. I'm no prophet, but I know how to read events. But I told you, if you, those of you remember me, I told you the next place will be attacked is Germany. Told you it is going to be Germany next because I said I hear the chatter on the internet. Next day sites are on Germany. And both the attacks that took place was in Germany. The fellow with that axe in the train in Bavaria and Munich where nine were shot dead. It is Germany. Now what do they call this? You know what they call this? Well, this is something which I want you to understand. This is what they are calling lone wolf attacks. This is not a group of terrorists. It's one man. Orlando, everywhere. Bavaria, Munich, Orlando. It's just one man. And the problem is you cannot prevent it. But you can prevent it. One security expert said, you can prevent it. And it is only preventable if every human being on earth is under surveillance. You see where it is going to lead to? Ultimately, for the sake of security, the people themselves will say, watch us. We are okay with this. We just want to love. Everyone. A day will come when everyone will be watched and is being watched. Do you know all your movements are being watched? Twitter, your Facebook. That's why I said, get out of all these things. Reading habits, everything, money spending, everything is being watched. Welcome to the last days. And it doesn't matter whether your viewpoint has changed. Doesn't matter whether it was something personal. When they come after you, they will come after you bringing your past, which is there in the public space. Brendan Egg, I, 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 think, I think it's name. He was the CEO of Mozilla. The IT company that gave us Firefox. Why was he asked to resign from his own company? Because years back in California, when they had put, I think it's Proposition 8, because the people put this to vote saying to ban same-sex marriage in California. So the groups who were pushing this, he made a private donation. And it was found he had made a private donation to a group which was against gay marriage. And his employees came back after him years later, after gay marriage was legalized in America and asked him to resign. And he had to, though it's his company. Your posts, your views, all on this public space. Let it not come back to haunt you one day. Be wise. Be wise. I'm not saying to be scared, but I'm saying to be very wise. Very wise. Because we are living in a time which prophets actually warned about. George Orwell wrote about. Big brother is watching you. When Jesus left, remember, he left from the Mount of Olives. From Bethany. If you know the that's where we have those pictures. If you see from Luke 24, Scripture says, He led them out as far as Bethany. And there's on the Mount of Olives. He lifted up His hands and He blessed them. 
And now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So this is a vision they are seeing. So we have these pictures of Jesus ascending, blessing his disciples, and he's going up, 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 and up. And he disappeared. Let me tell you what Zechariah 14, 14, 4 says. It says, on that day, his feet will step back on that same place. The way he went, he will come. Do you believe? He's not going to come anywhere. He's going to come back exactly from where he left. But not to bless. Not to bless. He's coming to fight and for judgment. When he left from Mount of Olives, he left blessing. When he comes, he comes to judge the world. That's what Jesus said. When you hear all these things happening, please remember, labor pains have begun. And let's hope these labor pains are like our modern young ladies, which goes on and on and on and on. Ramadan says, new young ladies have 24 hours labor pain, 48 hours, and then finally they say C-section. You need to be strong like Gurujit. We went at 9 and 12 hours, she's already delivered. But when it comes to Jesus, we'll tell him, Lord, let the labor pains extend. Please don't come so fast. Because he's talking about labor pains connected with his coming. He says, these are all labor pains. But every labor pain, you know, will ultimately lead to a birth. And this birth he's talking about is the birth of his kingdom. The age we are waiting for to be manifested on earth. So when you see all these things happening, God says, God's children who are watchful and in prayer, they are like the disciples looking up in their hearts. Their heads are going up. Their heads are not going down. Lift up your heads. Why? Because you know he's coming. Just like a girl who knows her wedding date is getting closer and closer. Excitement gets. Because that's the bride he's coming for. So remember... All these things are happening around us. If you know, again, one more forest fire raging through California started yesterday, I think. Forest fires don't start because somebody starts a bonfire. No. It happens during extremely dry season when all the forests and undergrowth is dry like a tinderbox and all it takes is a spark. One spark. Somebody drives, throws his butts. Cigarette butt flaming without putting it off. And before you know, five hours later, the whole forest is burning. That's how forest fires start. You know, 100 years ago, literally 102 years ago, Europe was a tinderbox. All it needed was one spark. One spark. June 28, 1914, the spark was lit when the Archduke Ferdinand of Austria was killed, shot dead by a Serbian nationalist. Before you knew, the First World War had begun. A war like the world had never seen. By the time it ended four years later, 16 million were dead. We don't even know the actual numbers. Nobody counts dead during World Wars. They're just buried in mass graves. At the end of the World War, the League of Nations, all things were formed. Everything was bound to fail because you see, there will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace comes and steps down on the Mount of Olives. All these peace conferences are doomed to fail. 
from Revelation 6 to Revelation 19 is an unfolding of the last days. Remember in Revelation 6 and verse 4, scripture says, when the second seal, 6 and verse 4, another horse fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. The first horse was the first horse of deception. Peace is taken away and he's given. He's given the power by God to take peace and allow people to kill freely. So there will be no peace. All peace conferences are doomed to fail. Why? Because it is written. People thought the League of Nations and after the first world war, it was called the Great War. You look back history of those days and those days papers, it was called the Great War. They changed the name after the second world war began. The second world war, first world war was nothing compared to the second world war. It would touch the lives of every nation on earth. By the time it was over, six years later, started on September the 2nd, 1939, and finished on September the 2nd, 1945, when Japanese army surrendered. Six years later, when it was over, anywhere between 55 to 85 million were dead. The world had never seen anything like that. But those labor pains led to the most momentous event the church was waiting for, the birth of Israel. When God said, the last days will begin. The world sees history differently. The church sees history differently because everything is working out for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And literally like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 66 and verse 7 and 8, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such thing? Shall the earth made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? Which was true. At once. When in the United Nations, the Secretary General hit his hammer saying, Israel is born. It was born in one day. No nation was ever born like that. Israel was born exactly in one day. Written 2,600 years earlier, in one day it will come to pass. Do you doubt the accuracy of this? You can stake your life on this. It is the word of God. But along with it came trouble. The age-old conflict between Ishmael and Isaac was rekindled, revived, and it will continue till Jesus steps down and declares, Isaac is my son. He will resolve this. He will declare. Till then, this fight will continue. Who is the real heir of Abraham? And Jesus will declare on Mount of Olives, who is. So we live in prophetic times. Prophetic times. See, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked on earth, he told the Pharisees, Abraham longed to see my day. And they looked at him and said, what do you mean Abraham? You're not even 30 years old. He said, even before Abraham was, I am. They didn't understand that too. But we understand. Do you see? You understand what he meant? And the Pharisees, even today in Israel, don't understand what he meant. Because the mysteries of the kingdom are given to his children and not to them. 
In Luke 21:36 Jesus talks about watch therefore and pray always that you so generation you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man so it could not have been any previous generation because they all died some has overcome us some just went through the flames but they are all dead right all of them are dead so he talks about a generation who will escape and stand before the son so if we are the generation it is written to us if it is not then it's to our children in first thessalonians chapter 4:16 and 17 the holy spirit through paul in the first letter says for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first all the dead in christ of the past 2000 years suddenly will get their new resurrected bodies and they will rise their spirits will be joined with the new bodies and they will rise and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together so there is a generation there is going to be a generation who will be alive when he comes and will be caught up and paul thought well i am alive i might be part of it but he wasn't even paul apostle paul longed and hoped to be part of that generation he would welcome jesus in the air mark those words we who are alive so every generation when they read their scriptures from thessalonians 4:15 and 16 they would say we who are alive so you and i can still read when we are alive we who are alive and we read our times in the light of it and say lord will i be the one among those one who welcome you when you come Therefore the constant cry in the epistles awake awake from spiritual slumber because as he went he will return So if there was one small faithful group that saw his ascension there should be another faithful overcoming group which will see him descending and be caught up with him Like I said when the group when he left their eyes were not on the world their eyes were on him and the group that will welcome him their eyes also won't be in this world will be on him that's why the writer of hebrews says keep your eyes fixed on christ jesus spiritually now don't take it literally and start leaving your windows open and sitting there no that's not what scripture says it means spiritually be prepared to hear the voice of the holy i don't know where simeon was simeon was probably that first day he took a break to go somewhere wherever he was the holy spirit said run run to the temple because the lord has come and he had been waiting day after day week after week month after month year after year because he had heard the prophetic voice of the holy spirit telling me simeon you will not die until you have seen the salvation of israel he held on to it he said you said i will not die until i have seen him and i'm growing older and older and old i don't know one day he went out of the temple the spirit said today is the day run back when he ran back the spirit showed him do you see that lady standing over there that one that one but not that big queue that one poor poor people's queue you do see that one holding that baby that's the one go pick that baby you see the salvation of israel and you can die it's the spirit of god it is the spirit of god remember it is the spirit of god watching and waiting yet never stop serving 
they also serve who stand and wait. They also need to serve. He should not find you lying in a hammock. He should find you serving when he comes. Calamity after calamity is being released and will be released and no one can stop it except God. God has the power to stop it but the problem is people will not repent. That's what Revelation 69 says. It says the men were scorched with great heat. Don't we hear it? Every year the temperature is growing up during summer. Every year they will very like faithfully pronounce this will be the worst year when it comes to heat. Scorched! And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. They won't repent. God says, the sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord himself shall be shed. No. We'll buy an inverter. How can an inverter replace the Holy Spirit? After some time, inverter also dies. Then we sit in our roof, fanning ourselves. But we will not repent. Yet God will have a generation who will declare him. The question posed through Isaiah will be answered by that generation. In Isaiah 53, 8, it was answered, by the way, by every generation. He was taken from prison and judgment. Who will declare his generation? Basically, it is talking about like Abel. Abel's blood is crying out. Meaning, what does it mean Abel's blood is crying out? Because blood is counted from father to son. Abel died without a child. So his blood is crying out, I have nobody to carry my name. Jesus was cut off, leaving no children. He never married. Cut off without progeny. Who will declare his generation, for he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. But from the day of Pentecost he always had a generation who declared him. God says, his greatest testimony will come in the last generation. Philip, while explaining Isaiah, will quote this to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He says, the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? Do you want to be that generation? Every generation from the apostolic age was declaring Jesus. But more, nothing like the last generation when he comes. Meaning, you can have a remake of a same old movies done by ten different directors. Then ultimately people will say, you know what, this was the best remake. Every generation is declaring Jesus, his remnant. But God says, there is a generation that will declare Therefore, this generation would have faced the greatest trials, the greatest temptations, the greatest tribulation, and the greatest humiliation. Yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is released, will also have the greatest triumph. They would have overcome Satan himself. Because now, Satan is been thrown, cast down to earth. Not even the second heavens. And they would overcome him. And how do they overcome him? We all know it. By the blood of the Lamb. 
and by the word of their testimony. They become literally the fulfillment of Peter's declaration in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen generation. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. Though every generation this applies, God says there is a generation. This will apply more than anybody else because they will declare to a dark world we are the light of the world because in us is his life and his life is the light of man. A chosen generation. This generation will exist side by side with the most godless, self-indulging, and use my own words, selfie generation. Side by side. The most godly, the most godless. The most powerful, the most powerless. Proverbs 30.11 There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. Meaning they have absolutely no respect for authority. No respect. They treat authority elders with contempt, with dishonor. They are caught up with stuff. It's about me, more and myself. In Proverbs 30 and verse 13, there is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes. And their eyelids are lifted up in their own eyes. Selfies. Look at me. Coffee in the morning. And posted it on Facebook. Watch me drink coffee. Old days, if a photograph was taken, you could be very sure it was a momentous occasion. Now, everything is a selfie. Lifted up. Lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. But Christ too will have this generation. Remember these two generations walk side by side. This is not to condemn. This is to open our eyes and say, Lord, I don't want to be that generation. This is a gimme, gimme generation. The more you give, the more their appetite increases and there is no gratitude at all. Proverbs 30 and verse 14 to 17 says, There is a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives, to devour the poor of the earth and the needy from among men. Yeah, and further down, 15? Yeah, 14 to 17. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. What is that? That's that's what you hear, the theology also that is being preached. What is that? Give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. Give, give, give a generation. They're never satisfied. You give them iPhone 4, little later they say one five. And you don't give them, they make your life hell. You give them iPhone 5, little later they'll say one iPhone 6. You give them 6, little later they'll say one iPhone 6s. Nothing satisfies. Nothing satisfies. While scripture says godliness with contentment is a great thing. A generation, God says, will be side by side with a godly generation who are never content with anything. Doesn't matter how much they have. God says, guard our hearts. 
Because it is idolatry. The spirit of covetousness has got in. And they are not even grateful. Not even grateful. And God says, He is warning us. Do you see? There was never a generation like this. Never a generation. I was just hearing a pastor on the way. In the car I was listening. The pastor was saying, You have three children. And try to get them into a car. It's impossible because there are only two windows. He said in the old days, and I realized what he was saying was true. Everybody had seven or eight or nine or ten children. So everybody learned how to share. Three slept in one bed, four slept on the floor. They grew up sharing. Today, no, everybody has one or one and a half. And no sharing. It's mine. This is my room. Please don't enter without knocking. No sharing. Absolutely. Don't touch. It's mine. You all lived with hand-me-downs. We grew up with hand-me-downs and never thought it was odd. Your eldest brother wore it, gave it to the next one, the next one picked it up and gave it to the next one. That's how we grew up. You didn't have to be taught to share. That was life. Can you do that today? Now the answer to that is not having more children. Don't miss it. The answer to that is having a big heart. You just want to have children, more children, just go onto the streets, go to Shishivihar, hundreds of them over there. Go to the government and say, I'll open up my homes for me, give me a license, I will take them home. There's no shortage of children without parents abandoned in this world. Tens and thousands and millions. Plenty. God says, beware. Beware. Side by side, there are two generations. But God too will have his generation. In Psalm 112 and verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Be a mighty generation. One generation who will praise God and serve him with all their heart and all their strength. Psalm 102 and verse 18 says, This will be written for that generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Even the psalmist saw, there is going to be a generation in the midst of this darkness who will rise up and they will praise God. They will be the closest to the image of Christ that has ever walked on earth. A set of people. 700 years before he died on the cross, He had seen his overcoming generation. In Isaiah 53 verses 9 and 10. They made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he makes his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. And he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see his seed. That's what he saw on the cross. He saw on the cross an overcoming generation. And he said, my father, for this purpose, I came. I came. Remember, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? If it is written in the Greek text, in the Coptic, in the Peshitach translation, the Syriac translation, the same words will say, my father, my father, for this purpose, I came. He says, I see a seed. 
there is a generation that loves the God of the word and the word of God. In Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. So is the word of God has to be purified or the man of God has to be purified? The man of God has to be purified seven times over so that the word of God will come out of his mouth and out of his life like pure silver. Word of God is always pure. But earth, this furnace of earth has to be used to purify him. Oh, God is looking for a generation, overcoming generation. Jeremiah 7 and verse 29, scripture says, Cut off your hair, cast it away, and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. The day of the Lord is the most glorious day for the generation that is waiting and the most terrible day for the people who are not waiting because it is also called the day of his great wrath and he is telling the prophet, take your hair, cut your hair off. It is a sign of mourning. And cast it away, take up a lamentation on the desolate heights for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. God says, are we ashamed of him? Are we ashamed of his word now? Matthew 8 and verse 38, he makes it very clear for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? Are you mocked because of your faith in your colleges, in your schools, in your universities and you're ashamed and you hide your faith? Daniel was not ashamed of his faith in Babylon though he was a slave. God says, if you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he says, when I come in the glory of my Father, I also will be ashamed of you. But God will have his witness. Christ will have his witness. The only question to ask is, will you and I be part of that witness? In Psalm 22 and verse 30, scripture says, A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. He'll always have a generation that serves and to the next generation it will be told, you know, there was a generation that served him. It is God who calls. It is God who does it. But it is you and I who have to believe and to obey. In Isaiah 41 and verse 4, who has performed it and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning. I the Lord am the first and with the last I am he. He says I have called the generations. From the first to the last I am there and I am with them who choose to listen and who choose to obey. For God is not a respecter of persons. That is what the first man outside the garden who tries to approach God, finds out his name was Cain. And what God tells Cain in Genesis 4-7 is that, if you do right, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He says, I'm not a respectable person. It doesn't matter from which background, which caste, which race, which color, which country you come from. It Nothing matters. If you do well, you will be accepted. There is no reservation, there is no quota, there is nothing like that. In God's kingdom. He says, all you have to do is come. And he says, I will receive you. Yet we struggle. 
because we lack power we lack power because we refuse to come under god's order yet the spirit is promised without measure in revelation 12:11 talks about a generation that overcomes the devil himself not not some chota mota demon the devil himself they overcame him they overcame him how did they overcome him by the blood of the lamb this is a generation verse 12 says this is a generation the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has short time the devil also knows i got very little time left and he's come against this generation with fury unimaginable never like before in history yet they overcome him and how did they overcome him is put across in a term that we have become so familiar with our understanding it's still powerful they overcame him by the blood of jesus often we mistake this words and see only one application in spiritual warfare what do we say i plead the blood of jesus against you it is true i apply the blood of jesus over my hope over my situation all that is fine but that's not what he's talking about jesus tells us how he overcame In John chapter 14 and verse 30 he says I will not talk much talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me this is his game he came but he has nothing in me that is why the devil had absolutely no hold upon Jesus his loyalty was absolutely completely undivided He loved his father with all his heart and he loved his neighbor as himself. This world meant nothing to him. His father's will meant everything to him. He was watchful to this end every day. Therefore the devil could never take him by surprise. Any day the devil came he found nothing in Jesus. And he tells us through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 be sober be vigilant. because your adversary the devil is roaming around be watchful be spiritually awake so he has given us he knows we are not like him but he wants to make us like him so he says you want to win the devil i've given you my blood and this is what he says how do we overcome him in 1 john 1:9 scripture says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and then verse 7 says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin he says do you know what i given my blood for he says i have given you my blood so that when the devil comes he has no hold over you you can overcome him he says if you confess you repent and you walk in the light the blood of jesus will do its power when the devil comes he has no hold over you he has no hold over you that's also the primary purpose of the holy spirit what did jesus say when the holy spirit comes he said you will have power he says yes but that is subsequent but before that what did he say in john 16 and verse 8 he says when he has come when the holy spirit come the first thing he does is he convicts you what does he do 
he convicts you he will say this earlier in john chapter 14 verse 15 to 7 he said if you love me keep my command i will pray the father and the father will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you you see like i said on wednesday you can hear the word or you can hear the message if you do not have the holy spirit you will still understand you will still enjoy the the, the sermon it but it's just a very good intellectual speech and you you like being entertained intellectually but you don't hear his voice because the world cannot receive him it doesn't bring any conviction in our lives when the holy spirit comes he said he will convict he will do what he will convict let me come to a very as we come to the close maybe i'm the 10 15 minutes but let me get to you something interesting in the old testament in the old testament in the first five books which is called the law when the levitical law is given israel had seen incredible number of diseases in egypt but if you study the law god says only one thing if you listen to my voice and obey my commandments i will see none of the diseases that was upon egypt will come upon you one blanket words covering all diseases it's like a general antibiotic but about one disease alone so much detail is given in the law and that is in primarily leviticus that disease is leprosy only on leprosy no other disease but the interesting fact is you study the entire old testament not one israelite was ever healed of leprosy then why so much detail given the only one who is healed of leprosy is not a israelite who is a syrian general called naman and he was not even healed through the levitical law but by dipping himself in jordan Yet does god write anything without purpose so why so much details given answer in the old covenant it's a symbol leprosy is a symbol of sin leprosy was not just a disease leprosy was a symbol the most horrible disease you could have in the ancient world even today today of course aids has taken over you may have any disease even cancer you don't mind it being known but nobody would want to know you have aids because there's a stigma attached to it the same way in the ancient world it was leprosy just leprosy most terrible disease anybody could have because you knew your end you are out you are out of your family you are out of your society you are an outcast and you would die a slow horrible death one of the first signs of leprosy was this you lose sensation everything else is later because it first affects your nerves then the change of color then the eating away of the flesh the digits then ultimately death 
The first sign of leprosy was loss of sensation. That's why we say pain is not always your enemy. It's often your friend. Oh, I cut my hand. Thank God. You knew you cut your hand. Not the leper. The leper is chopping vegetables. He just chops his fingers off. And if he doesn't notice, he doesn't even know. Pain is not your enemy. Pain is often your friend. The first sign of leprosy is what? Loss of sensation. When you lose sensation, be alarmed, run. Go to the doctor for help because leprosy can be cured. When the word of God and the Holy Spirit stops convicting you, you are in mortal danger. Run. Run for help. That's why leprosy is mentioned in so much detail in the Bible. One of the first signs of that disease, unlike any other disease, is you lose sensation. If the word of God and the spirit of God has no effect in you, you're not courting with physical death. You're courting with eternal death. You need to run. Run to God. Run to a man of God for help. If leprosy is untreated, it permanently affects the nerves. It affects your arms, your legs, your feet, your eyes. If sin is left untreated, it will affect your walk, it will affect your work, it will affect everything that you see. Start affecting everything that we see. Yet, we feel no regret. No godly sorrow. There is a sorrow. But the sorrow is always connected with the consequences of sin. Never with sin itself. That's what scripture will say in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. It says, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation only to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It only produces death. There is a sorrow connected with leprosy. Oh, I look terrible. You know what people say about me. You have no clue what happened to me. It's the sorrow of the world. It will lead you to death. There is a sorrow that comes from conviction. That's godly sorrow. It produces repentance. Produces. A godly sorrow produces change. That's why God says, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Don't grieve Him. Don't quench Him. Because if the Holy Spirit leaves, who convicts us? We ourselves become the arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. Instead of dealing with our sin, we start justifying our sin. Scripture says, there is only one who justifies the Lord Jesus Christ. We become God ourselves. Do you know what Thessalonians says in the last days? What will happen? The man of sin will be revealed and he will take his place in the most holy place and declare, I am God. 
You know, our generation has risen who have taken the place of God in their lives and says, I am God and I decide what is right for me and what is wrong for me. Two generations side by side. God says, be careful. Be careful. So how did this generation overcome? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. They were so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that they cried. They cried. They had the heart of David. It's not that nobody will fall. No. But David, you know how sensitive that man was. He committed terrible things. But he was so, so sensitive. So sensitive. Are we sensitive? A generation that curses its father and curses his mother. On the other hand, here is the king madly going around trying to kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. And he's been anointed the next king. He has everything to justify to turn against the king. The king is right there in his hand. He's hiding in the cave. He does, the king doesn't know David is there at the back. The king has come there. He's relieving himself and proved to the king that I was there and didn't take your life in your hands with his sword. He takes a bit of his robe. Cuts it out, just a small bit, to prove a point. I have an evidence that I had you in my life. I didn't, in my hands, I didn't kill you. But afterwards, he's shaken. He's heartbroken. I cut a piece from the king's robe. I dishonored him. I dishonored him. He was sensitive. He said, I could never sleep. He talks about it later. He says, I, I covered my pillows with tears and my bones were wasting away until I put my right life right with you. No justification. Nothing. No justification. These are the two pictures God shows us in the history of Israel. Saul and David. Saul could never be convicted. David could be convicted of anything. Anything. And he says, a man after my own heart. And God says, will we walk in the light? That's what scripture says, if you hear his voice today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is too late. By tomorrow we have already made five arguments to justify yourself as to why you shouldn't repent. Today. God says, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Today. Today. It's always today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 6 to 9, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day. We're not of night. Night. What did scripture says? If you are in the light, you walk with him and you have fellowship with one another. But if you are of the dark, you are asleep and you get drunk in the works of darkness. Scripture says, here, let us who are of the day be sober. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. He did not appoint us to wrath. We are appointing ourselves to wrath. We ignore his great salvation. So the greatest enemy of today is tomorrow. In Hebrews 3.13, God will say, 3 and verse 13, 
and exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin exhort each other daily hang in there brother don't give up don't give in hang in there it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it don't give up don't give up i heard this story only last i mean it was so moving this is something that happens in years 1970s in 1970 71 to be exactly Ravi Zacharias the man of god was in vietnam when us was fighting that war in vietnam and he and his vietnamese uh, translator used to go on their bike i think if i'm right village to village to village preaching the word of god and later they find out a revival took place because of their ministry this vietnamese man zachary revizak comes back this vietnamese man is later arrested when the viet cong takes over vietnam they arrest him and he is in prison and uh, he is beaten up he is tortured all those things happen because he's a believer they said we know you are a believer we know you interpreted for the americans and all that thing and the the main guy of the prison camp and he said he always gave up his faith he said lord i'm not going to read my bible he had no bible i'm not going to remember i think i'm about to give up about to give up and then the next day he's given the job to clean the toilets along with cleaning the toilets is a bucket of toilet paper which he has to take from the prison officers bathroom so he takes it off and his job is to empty it and clean he said the stench is terrible it is so terrible and as he is emptying the bucket of used toilet paper he sees a printed page and he stops he picks it up with dirt on it he picks it up because he saw english written on it he hoses it and he hides it because he sees on the top written romans because the prison officer had the habit of using tearing a page from the bible every day to clean himself after toilet yet the living god used that same paper for this man he brings it up and he cleans it up and he opens the bible one page he has in his cell and he reads for all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose and he is restored back to faith and next day he goes to the prison officer and says can i have the regular duty of cleaning the toilets and from that day first thing he does is search in that bucket for that one piece of paper to hose it so that he would have a collection of scripture in his prison cell do you know how people have valued this he's still alive he's still in california do you know the power of this word do we know power god says i have breathed into it it has the power to walk in those who believe oh church today god says today in hebrews 3:13 he says today exhort yourself each other today 
lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know what? That today, when you enter into that today and hear your voice, each day is a today, what it characterizes in your life is rest in the midst of your storms. That's how Jesus walked. Therefore, he could sleep in the boat in a storm. And Peter could sleep in the prison even if he were to be executed the next day. Why? Because they lived every day in the light of that day. And they had rest. Do you believe? Do we believe? Do you believe what this God is able to do? Or do we shorten his hand by our unbelief? Because walking with this God is a living God. It's, it's a challenge. The rest is religion. Religion is easy. It demands nothing from you. Nothing from you. God demands. It's a living relationship. He says, you need to walk with me. But if you walk with me, he says, I haven't seen no ears heard what God can do. And he is doing and will do. Have you, when you read scripture, do we read scripture that way? You know, when I was reading this, and I checked on Wikipedia too. Now, almonds, badam. You all like badam? I don't like badam. You all like badam? My wife tries to feed me badam. I eat the nuts and leave the badam for her. If you take badam, first Wikipedia will tell you, it doesn't grow in most places. It has to be in certain places, only hot climate. Then it has to be planted. You have to have a lot of water. It has to be taken care of four years minimum before the badam tree will come up. Then the branches come up and then you get the fruit. At least four to five years of constant care. It's a very difficult tree to grow. If you're not careful, it will die. God takes a badam stick and tells Moses, put it in front of my testimony. The next morning, when they come, it's blossomed, budded with ripe almonds. Did you see that? It's in uh, number 17, 8. 17, number 17, 8. Number 17, 8. Think about it. Think Because these are things it needs to, because some of you people might be thinking, you know. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded what? Right? Do you think you need 15 years to change and become the man of God, the woman of God you need to be? Or you will surrender to the power of God and lie before him and ask him to change you so that you bear fruit for his glory? Do you believe? Do you believe? In Deuteronomy 17, 17, the law was given to the kings of Israel. It was written in the law. 
that you will not trust in horses. You will trust in the living God. It was written in Deuteronomy 17, 17. It is written, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself, and also he shall not multiply horses. We will leave the wives and the silver and gold. We shall look at horses. What did he say? Not to multiply horses. He said, don't multiply horses. But Solomon went and brought horses from everywhere. He had the finest horses. That's why kings are crazy about horses. And there is this king called Ahab and his chariot with the king's finest horses. And the chariot is racing because Elijah said, run, run, go as fast as you can before the storm overtakes you. And there is Ahab rushing with his chariot, with his best horses pulling it. The next thing he looks is he sees Elijah running under the anointing faster than his chariot. What is God telling you? God saying that the fastest, the smartest man in the world, if the Holy Spirit anoints you in your workplace, wherever you are, you can run faster than any one of them. Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit or do you believe in your hard work? That was the best in Israel. The best horses, the best chariot, the king himself. The best chariot. But here is a man under the unction, running faster. Do we believe? Do we believe? That's the question. Do we believe? Against all opposition from everybody around. Scripture says, Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. 52 days. Because God was with him. How many years do you want to build a wall around your life? 15 years? 20 years? Or 52 days? Or less than that? See, this is where scripture says, all things are possible with him or her who believes. But he who believes in that God. Otherwise, we're just wandering and wandering and wandering. And the problem is, the days are getting worse and worse, and hearts are hardening and hardening because of the deceitfulness of sin. And we sit around so quickly, judging everybody around, instead of judging our own hearts and say, Lord, why do I lack power to overcome? Why am I shaken whenever the slightest thing happens in my life? Why am I shaken? Lord, when I read your scripture, I see Peter sleeping. I see Paul singing. I see Silas singing. I see them all. Yet all it takes is somebody to shout at me, I am depressed. Why? And by Sunday morning, I don't even feel like coming to church. Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? Because our minds are occupied by everything else except God's truth. We are experts in everything else. Experts in everything else. It's good. When Daniel was tested in Babylon, he was found an expert in all subjects, but he was ten times better in the word of God. Scripture never says in the 12 chapters of Daniel that Daniel was studying physics again and again and chemistry and maths. No, Scripture says he was studying the word of God till his old days, till God said, shut up, shut the book and go. I'm not going to give you any more revelation. Enough. Have you ever heard about a man like that? 
to the men of the old. You go to check back history. Isaac Newton's major books, his notes are on scripture, not on science. These were men of God. Today scientists are scoffers. It is not one at the cost of another. But God says, you take a stand for me. You be very sure in heaven I will take a stand for you. Then be tested. And you will know who is good. Who is good. That's what he is saying. Instead, we slog. And we slog. And we slog in the world. And we realize, Lord, your promise is there. Shall be the head and not the tail. But I am always a tail. A tail. Why? Because you try to become the head at the cost of this. God says, I cannot honor you because my word is forever settled in the heavens. As a close, I never, I never lack the joy of sharing this, this story from my days when I was a civil chaplain with the army in the northeast. There was this soldier, he's a sepoy, Lance Nayak. For those you know about the army, you can't go lower than that. If you go lower than that, you hit the earth. The lowest rank is the Lance Nayak. Okay, poor fellow joins the army to protect his country. He ends up carrying the Mames Arms bags. Honestly, I'm telling you, I've seen it in the army. He's carrying Mames Arms bags from market, waiting for bringing her children back from school, carrying their cricket kit back. That's Lance Nayak. Appointed as orderly to the major's office, captain's office, colonel's office, home, not office. There is this Lance Nayak who lives in a small little room called his quarters adjacent to the officer's house. In a place in Tawang. You know where Tawang is? It's in Arunachal Pradesh. He's a Lance Nayak, but he's a believer and he's a man of God. Sunday morning he's not a Lance Nayak. Sunday morning his room is full. And officers in civilian clothes are standing in line and kneeling before him so that he would lay hands and pray over them. Why? Because God said, you honor me, I will make you the head and not the tail. Monday to Saturday he saluted them. Sunday they knelt before them, before him. Why? Because they recognized his God is God. His God is God. That was what Joseph the Pharaoh said. You speak like God. Therefore I see no one better to, to take over this country other than you. Do you believe? I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. You should work hard. But never at the cost of this. Never at the cost of this. Never at your relationship with the living God. Because a day is coming. The day is coming. And everyone will stand before God. And he and she will give an account. What you did. What you said. And how you lived. What is under the blood. What is not under the blood. Oh, he saw an awesome God. And he is the same God of Joseph, Daniel, Paul, Timothy, Isaac is the same God. Your God, my God, our God. It's the same God. 
this morning God is just asking that one question when the holy spirit comes he convicts are you convicted today if you say yes the next question god says will that conviction lead to repentance or will that conviction lead just to worldly sorrow esau's conviction led to worldly sorrow judas his conviction led to worldly sorrow balaam's conviction led to worldly sorrow king saul's conviction learned led to worldly sorrow so many written in the bible all of them said identical words i have sinned then in the middle of it the worst of the lot mr david also says i have sinned instantly god speaks to the prophet and says have removed your sin to none of the others god says where did conviction lead you where has conviction led you has it made a change in your life or is it still the same that's why leprosy is given in so much detail and yet no leper is healed in the old testament but in the new testament what does it begin with after preaching on the mountain jesus comes down and the first healing recorded is the healing of a leper lord if you are willing he says i am willing be healed because there is no longer just forgiveness of sins there is power to be cleansed and to overcome sin in christ jesus that's the first message of the new covenant you can overcome sin and walk with god you can you can you have to believe you can because millions have walked you and i can to walk with god amen shall we stand even as we sing i love god's spirit to speak to you if he hasn't already spoken and put right between sin and salvation lies only one thing that's pride what will take most sinners who heard the truth to hell is pride that's why scripture says humble thyself in the sight of god and he will lift you up a meek a lowly a contrite heart before god is of great worth to him keep as pastor vijay keeps telling us keep a very short account with god very short account nothing for tomorrow that's why the book of romans is oh no man anything except the debt of love oh no man anything nothing oh no man nothing live a debt free life with forgiveness forgiveness with money money with honor honor oh no man nothing that's how jesus lived lived you know he was buried in a borrowed tomb three days back he gave it back he said you can have it back he was buried in borrowed clothes three days back if you entered into the tomb you will see the clothes he had borrowed was wrapped up and kept cleanly you can have it back i owe no man anything except the debt of love nothing that's how he lived till his very end but i owe man the debt of love 
Therefore on the cross he will say father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing and even as he's ascending the last sight the apostle sees he's still blessing and not cursing I owe no man except the debt of love That's how God says you still need to live live free There's enormous liberty in the spirit if you choose to live that way let go let God be God Shall we sing Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone is solid ground. Come to the nurses' home and stone. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are seen. Driving sea, I comfort I call it all here in the love of Christ. In Christ alone, who took on flesh. Fullness of God in heaven's pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. we stand here in the presence of God if God has spoken to you today today when it is still today do not harden your heart there's nothing you have to do in your own strength because if you cry he himself will strengthen you to do it to do what is right For scripture says everyone and anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Same scripture says anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will not be put to shame. Saved and not to be shamed. 
Isn't that the cry of many in their hearts? Lord, save me from my situation. But Lord, do not put me to shame. God says, I have written that in my scripture. Do you believe? Ask the Samaritan woman how she went back from the well. She will say, saved, unashamed, back to the town, to the same men. And I could declare him to them. Saved and set free. Today could be your day of victory. Today could be your day of deliverance. Today could be the day when your bonds are broken and you are set free. Whatever is binding you, there is only one who can set you free. It is Christ and Christ alone. No pastor saves anyone. No servant of God delivers anyone. No miracle worker heals anyone. There is only one who saves, one who delivers, one who heals, one who sets captives free. And his name is Jesus. And if you believe, and you came to this house believing, he's here in our midst for you today. Now, not tomorrow. So if you want to take a step forward, this fourth Sunday of July, you can come to the front and say, Lord, I want to surrender once again. I want to surrender once again, O oh Lord. Whatever is binding you, it could be discouragement, it could be depression, it could be slumber, it could be a besetting, it doesn't matter to God, He already knows it. All he's looking for is for us to acknowledge it and come to him and say, Lord, here am I. I struggle with fear. I struggle with discouragement. I struggle with depression. I struggle with anger. I struggle with bitterness. Whatever it is just in your heart, name it. Name it. And say, Lord, this is what I struggle with. There is a God who will set us free. For his first proclamation in his hometown was this. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. Father, this morning we come to you. We come to you because you love us. And no one has and no one can and no one ever will love us the way you love us. You have loved us with everything that you are. You have loved us to the uttermost. And you love us so much that you gave us your only son for us. You did not love us when we chose you. You loved us when we did not know you. You loved us when we rejected you. You loved us when we were your enemies. You loved us when we were weak, when we were helpless. Therefore, we can do nothing to make you love us more. You have always loved us. It is on the trust of that love, God, that we come to you without fear. We come to you without fear because you have said in your word, anyone who comes to me, you will never cast away. We come to you without fear because your word says, a smoking flax, you will not put out a bruised reed, you will not break. You will be gentle and tender with those who come to you. 
you will bind them you will heal their roots you will restore them you will heal them you will deliver them now today for you are the god of today and say this now so father in the name of jesus of nazareth i speak deliverance in the lives of your children i take authority in the name of jesus of nazareth and i command every demonic entity every spirit that is not of god that is binding and holding god's people i command you spirits to leave these bodies these minds in the name of jesus of nazareth for whom the sun sets free is free indeed set them free lord you are here in our midst forgive that one lord you know that walks under condemnation forgive that dear child lord walks under condemnation for what happened in the past you have forgiven you have forgotten touch young ones lord bring them out of the power of lust break the spirit of pornography over their lives in the name of Jesus of Nazareth a come against that spirit of slumber over our young and old the spirit of slumber i command it to leave and i speak to their inner man awake awake to light awake to righteousness awake awake to the glories that god will reveal to you awake touch their feet direct their steps touch their arms their hands that they lift up their feeble hands and realize the strength of the lord is with them like david said in you can run through a troop jump over a wall in you in you in you oh lord let your people believe in you all things are possible all things are possible through christ jesus the generation rise up oh will walk with you and will please you and put that foremost in their heart to please you each day please you to walk by faith and to please you heal father heal heal restore deliver and i also command the spirit of anger to leave for you have not given us the spirit of anger you have given us the spirit of gentleness command that spirit of anger and that impatience to leave for no one possesses the kingdom of god with impatience but with patience your word says speak that in the hearts and the lives of your people patience long suffering to be worked in our god speak for peace in families peace in homes peace in households peace of god i pray for those who are struggling in their workplaces favor with god and favor with man 
Let them not trust in themselves, but let them put their trust in God. That God, you will make them the head and not the tail. You will make them your testimony in their workplaces, in their schools, in their colleges. They will not deny you their Lord. They will stand there quietly but firmly for the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father. May you be glorified in each life. May you be glorified in this place. May you be glorified in our homes. May you be glorified wherever we go, Lord. Thank you, Father. Be glorified, Lord. Be glorified. Help us to confess each day as your servants in the past confess. Your grace, your grace is sufficient for us. When I am weak, then I am strong. But the strength of God is perfected in my weakness. Thank you, Father. Thank you. All glory, all honor, all power belongs to thee and thee alone. And we, as your people, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Be magnified in our midst, of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.